0: He is your
1: host, Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Elizabeth Vinberg-Hern, standing in for Chris Cooper today on the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. A warm welcome to the show and thank you so much for listening. I've actually been a guest myself on three different occasions and I love this show and I'm truly, truly honoured and excited to be sitting in the interviewer's seat today. And I'm thrilled to have Gillian Haslam as my guest. And we are going to talk about how to overcome adversity and setbacks and how to really make a difference. And these are challenging times for a lot of people, I would say, around the world. And I'm really hoping that today's conversation can be an opportunity for us all to just stop and think about how we can develop both resilience and hope but also how we can support other people too, um, uh, as it is right now. But before I introduce you to Gillian, I just want to reflect briefly on last week's show. Did you listen to it? It was really interesting. Now, Susan Dushek shared her story about using business and entrepreneurship as a way of making a difference in the world. And she talked about her longing to really contribute to solve problems to create change and to make a difference and that drive to make a difference is definitely something that she shares with today's guest Gillian haslam now jillian is a philanthropist motivational speaker and trainer supporting people all around the world as a survivor of poverty and oppression Jillian brings a unique perspective gained from decades of proven resilience. In her work, she shows others how to derive meaning from their hardships, to find grace in adversity, and to develop genuine purpose to achieve their destiny. She's spoken at loads of, of events, several TED events. She's been in many organizations such as the Bank of England, PwC, Nova Nordisk, McDonald's, Cambridge University, and King College London, just to mention a a few. Now, her ability to help others achieve has brought her many accolades, including the prestigious Mother Teresa Memorial International Award. She was also honoured as the Telegraph's true legend and in the Asian Woman of the Year's Award. And now her own charitable trust is helping many hundreds of disadvantaged people overcome their adversity and achieve their destiny so welcome Gillian great to have you on the show how are you I know you've been traveling a lot lately what have you been up to hi
2: Elizabeth thank you so much for having me it is an incredible honor to be interviewed by you Um, yes I have been traveling quite a bit uh, after after covid you know my sister calls me the phantom she says Sometimes you are here and sometimes you're there, but you're all over the place.
1: <laughs> nice.
2: But I think after COVID, you know, um, traveling for speeches and work uh, became so important um, since we were all mainly housebound. But recently I, I traveled uh, to the UAE for a speech and then from there on to India. Uh, where you know I had not seen all the girls at my charity for so long I needed to set up some new centers I needed to um, you know set up a new beauty salon a new play school for kids meet all my girls so it was really great to be there
1: yeah. Oh I can imagine I can imagine are you jet lagged then you've been whizzing around like that are you fine?
2: You know I was a bit I was a bit but then I I'm quite good at at fighting these things. Uh, it's not a problem at all. Uh, I remember going for speeches, and coming back very, very late at night, and then getting on the bike. <laughs> in the oh, really? gym. Yeah, just to just to test myself to make sure that listen, Jillian, you can do this. And even at 10 o'clock in the night, I can get on the bike, uh, you know, in the gym, uh, which wow. uh, we have at home. And I kind of like to put my te- myself to the test at every given point.
1: <laughs> clearly, clearly. Wow, that's very impressive. I need to think about that one. I do like my bike, but I, I haven't done that as yet. So I, I should think about that, Jill. That might, um, might be something for me to try out as well. <laughs> Excellent. Now, I have to say, we, because we know each other, of course, and we first met about, I think it's 15 years ago, I think it was in 2007, when I worked as a leadership consultant for the bank you were working for at the time. Is that right? Can you believe it's that long? 15 yes, years? Yes, of course. Of course. Time just flies a little bit. Of I course. Know. But we've kept in touch, you know. We have. We have. And there's obviously been a lot that's happened for you over the years. And and we'll obviously talk a little bit about that and we'll come to your, your banking career as well. But I wanted to mention then, you know, I've I've obviously read your first autobiographical book, Indian English. Yeah. And it was one of the most moving books I've read. Um, and, and knowing you as well that makes it probably even more powerful. And um I know that you have a new book coming as well. So you have a new book called A Voice Out of Poverty, which is being released in the summer. Yeah. So so, so tell me, I mean, and, and tell our listeners a little bit, I've, I have the benefit of knowing something about you. So tell our listeners who don't know you and, and even those who do know you who might get to learn something more. Tell us about you, your background and, and what are your books about?
2: Well, Elizabeth, I was born uh, in India. My father served in the British army in World War II and was taken, was born there. Uh, His parents, mother and father were both British. Uh, My mom uh, was born there as well. Her mother and father, again, were both British. And so we came along and after India got her independence, we were reduced uh, to nothing, really. My my parents lost four, children before the ages of six months to malnutrition and abject poverty. We, my little sister Vanessa and myself were moved from pillar to post. We stayed in many people's houses uh, when we were probably aged two, three, four, um, around that time. Sometimes people kept us and took care of us and sometimes they just asked us to move on because they couldn't keep us any longer. Then my mother moved us uh, to a place called Dum Dum, where we had this little, um, a a tiny room really, and which was, which were given to my parents uh, to teach uh, the local children English. But unfortunately, again, the tide was against us. And there was a kidnap arranged for my sister. So we had to, we had to flee rushed back to the city of Calcutta, leaving every single thing we had behind. Of course, we had hardly anything but still it was our belongings. When we came back uh, to Calcutta on the way, my father almost uh, got a uh, cardiac arrest on the train, was very ill, my mother put him uh, into the Salvation Army. Uh, You know, it's really a place where they take care of Mm ex-servicemen. And we went to stay under a flight of stairs. My my mother thought that these people were helping her because they were her friends, two ladies, but they were far from her friends. Uh, we have witnessed certain things which no child really should witness. And it was very tough for us. Uh, it was a communal area under the flight of stairs where people washed their clothes, bathed their children, washed their utensils, even went to the toilet and we slept you know, right there. And when my father got better, we moved to a proper a proper little room, which was eight by ten feet, where over 3,000 people shared three toilets. We filled water from a tube well. the drains overflowed on a daily basis into our little room. It was very, very tough living. We hardly had any electricity um, because you know of power failure, etc continuously. and it was um, it was just crippling um, poverty uh, that we grew up in. And the book uh, that I've written again, it's it's very much uh, a revised uh, version uh, to Indian English, but it's rewritten with a lot of uh, more facts. Uh, It's also rewritten uh, for me to absolutely tell the whole story and try to help people all over the world who are experiencing the same things to understand that it's not what happens to you, in Maya Angelou's words, but it's what you do about it. So, voice sort of poverty is basically the good, the bad, and the ugly of what happened to us, and it's basically to tell the world that success is not, you know, just the act of, you know, you, a person making it through and being successful, but it's rather the act of reaching back and helping others through and taking others through with you. That is what makes you successful in the end.
1: And I love that. I love that. The whole idea that, you know, that there are so many people out there and and when we can do something for someone else, and as you're saying, particularly as you're going through that, and I know there were some people that helped you along the way, obviously that uh, without, who's helped you, maybe some things had not happened the same kind of way. So I think having that, and, and I think it's something that we can all take on board regardless of where we are or what we do. What can we, how can we reach out and and, and help other people though, you know, almost like a way of paying back, I guess, or, or paying it forward.
2: Well, how can we reach back and help other people? You know, um, Elizabeth, it's amazing that you ask me that because in all honesty, I have yet to meet a person and I know many, many of us have experienced very, very, very difficult lives. But mm. me in particular, I can only talk for myself. I have experienced an <laughs> extraordinary life when it comes to uh, being handed, uh, you know, our cards. And mm. every time I was handled, handed more and more and more difficult cards in life, right up to this very day, And I wondered why me, why, why did, why was my life so difficult? And why didn't, why wasn't I allowed to carry on with my life? Why wasn't I allowed to be happy? Why wasn't I? And you keep asking yourself these questions till one day, you know, my mentor said to me that, you know, Julian, when, uh, for example, when a person in, in a, if you see a person drop their groceries in a supermarket and another person rushes up to them and helps them, uh, that person feels very grateful, very happy. Um, but what happens to the physiology of the other person who helps that person? You know, there is research that that proves that when we do something like that, it triggers hormones such as, you know, cortisol, and the oxytocin, you know, the love and bonding hormones, so to speak. And I heard this, I thought, yes this is happening to me so i did some research elizabeth and i found out that there is this great professor called professor g post uh stephen post and he talks extensively about the subject he says giving and volunteering has more benefits can you believe than exercising in the gym four times a week can you believe that and this it just not it it it's not just about you dropping a coin in a box or or giving someone a check. It yeah. actually happens with human uh, interaction. Um, you know, if you read Darwin's book, The Descent of Man, you'll understand that he mentions in he mentions in that book survival of the fittest. But actually, he mentions that only twice. But he mentions benevolence ninety nine times. There is a reason for that, um, and everything added up to the fact that there's even stats about you know there's 44 percent reduction in in early death if we just give and we just help and we just care and then when i put my own self into that situation i got to know that this is happening to me i'm so happy i'm so positive and i'm so uh, fulfilled because of what i do and i did a little talk on this it's on my youtube channel um and i think people should definitely you know listen into it it's it's only 13 13 minutes and i really encourage your listeners uh to listen into it if they can
1: oh definitely do do check that out and we'll give some details later on for for where to find jillian as well but i mean it is it's just astonishing and i i think it makes a lot of sense as well i i I don't doubt that for a second because I think we are all so as you say, something happens to us when we help other people. I think we are meant to do that. It does something for us that goes beyond ourselves. We we do contribute to something bigger because I think as long as we're just focusing on things for ourselves anyway, that is very short-lived somehow, The, the the sense of achievement, if you like. But when you do something for someone else. And the fact that there is research to, to prove that makes it even better, I have to say. Now, can I just ask you, though, you know, it, it is so hard to imagine. I, I, I have to admit, I've clearly not experienced anything of what you've experienced in life. And I, it's hard to imagine what you've, you've seen and, and all of that. But did you ever feel powerless, you know, or, or, or just wanted to give up? Or, or were there times like that? Or have you always had this kind of resilience? Of course, Elizabeth,
2: I'm human, you know, I, of course, I felt defeated and powerless. And to be very honest with you, even suicidal, many times, given the life I've led, given the life I was, the hand I was dealt, and given just so much. And I think it's just the thought also of wanting to help others, wanting to to just give back, wanting to get others out of this situation that really ate me up, so to speak. And there were times when I thought, God, I do not know how much more to do. I have given up Christmases, New Year's, birthdays, time. I have just spent every living hour trying to work hard and trying to make the grade and trying to give back to people. So why is it not happening? And of course, I felt difficult, but I had to go on initially for my younger siblings, my elder siblings were, you know, they had their own families, they had their own children, uh, you know, they had moved on. And my mom had left the the younger ones to me. And it was my duty, I felt absolutely 100% responsible that I needed to take care of them. Because before she closed her eyes, she, she made me promise that I would look after them. And that was it meant everything to me. I had to be there for them. So putting my life on hold a little bit, it didn't matter. If I was asked to do all of that all over again, I would most willingly do it. And my dad always used to say that, you know, when he was in the army, um, they used to walk, you know, for miles and miles and miles on end. And they used to carry wounded soldiers with them and even soldiers who had died, etc. And then they used to take a break and rest. And even then, his commander used to line them up and say, no rest, you will all stand up firstly, and you all will all remember that it is not time to quit. So you don't quit. And they wanted to quit. Their wives were keeping on writing to them and saying, you know, send more money, send more money. And they didn't have any more money to give. So my dad always believed in this thing of, you never quit, just like when you're in the army, you know, you could be court martialed as a deserter or something like that. Absolutely. You no. say
1: you're not. You just, don't, you just yeah. don't quit. I mean, it's extraordinary, I have to say. <laughs> now, we're going into a comm- Time's just flying by here. We are going to be going into a commercial break in, in just a few seconds. And, but we'll be back uh, in a couple of minutes and we'll continue to talk about how to overcome adversity and to develop resilience and hope and really help other people in the process, uh, which you are sharing so eloquently, Gillian. So stay with us. We're going to be back in just a couple of minutes.
0: When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential?
1: time on the Voice America Business Channel.
0: When it comes to business you'll find the experts here Voice America Business Network. You were tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Elizabeth Vinberg, and this week's guest host on the
1: Business Elevation Show. And I'm back here with Gillian Haslam. And before the break, we were talking a little bit about Gillian growing up in, in poverty in, in India and with a lot of hardship and a lot of challenges and uh, sadness for her family and a lot of things going on there. And But I think it's interesting to say, because what you were mentioning there before the break, Gillian, is the, there's something about then reaching out and helping other people that has really helped you. So you could say that it will be too much to overcome what you have faced, but the the process and the the emotion and the heart that goes into other people indeed helps you as well.
2: Absolutely, Elizabeth. That's (laughs) yes, that's definitely true. Uh, And, you know, I explained uh, in my last uh, response to you. That's definitely right. Yes. Mm.
1: And, and interestingly enough, not only have you got a new book coming out, but your life story is also becoming a feature film. So, so what's that like? That must be quite an interesting process. I'd, I'd probably be quite daunted if, if my life was going to be made into a movie.
2: Well, no, um, I don't feel that way, only because I think I would do anything in my power to help anyone who... You know, is or facing the same circumstances that we did Mm. uh, to help them to realize, like I said in my my Angelo's words, that you know, it's not what happens to you, it's what you you make of it. And I think I when I wrote the first book, I just wrote it with a view to be able to hand and put that book into every little girl and boy's hands and say to them, Read this, this is my story, and I know from my own experience that. If I could do this, so can you. So even when I go back to Calcutta, they gather eight and 10 schools of kids and pack them into these parks. And then I speak to them and they all say, they all call you Didi ma'am or auntie. And I always say to them, I can take you by your hand right now and I can show you the little room where we lived. I can show you where I fell down with a bucket of water and I can show you where I, you know, where I had uh, my boyfriend throw letters to me and I can show you, you know, how sick I was and I can show you, you know, everything. And you've got to believe me that I lived here just like you, but I made it through and so can you.
1: So what does that make them, how does that make them feel? I can only imagine that that you're showing them a possibility. You're showing them so much hope, right?
2: Yeah, at first, um, you know, if you listen to some of the videos on, on YouTube, you'll know at first, you know, they they come in so shy and they don't talk etc and and then of course the first thing that never stops are the selfies Uh, (laughs) of course yes and then the questions never stop so sometimes I can go over for a speech and I could be booked for an hour and I'm kept there for seven hours or eight hours because (laughs) they just have so many questions and honestly Elizabeth I could spend my life there just trying to help them and inspire them with stories and anything that I possibly can do to help.
1: Oh, I can imagine. Goodness me. Wow. No, so, so, so let's move forward a little bit in your story then, because I know that you've obviously, you've been hardworking all your life, and I know you then moved into the sort of the corporate banking world. I actually think your first job was with American Express, which is the same for me, actually, although we yeah. never connected in, in that space as such. Yeah. But you've had a very successful career in the sort of financial and banking world, right? Yes, I've been very
2: fortunate. Um, my first job, um, you know, was a, it was just a temporary a stint at, at, at Amex. But at Bank of America really was um, the, toughest, the toughest interview uh, that I managed to pass out of 250 girls. Um, and after months of testing and interviewing and meeting, you know, all of the senior people in the organization, uh, but i managed to get through and i learned something from that i i actually just sat and told the ceo every single thing about myself and why i wanted the job and why i was so determined to help my little my little siblings and i thought that he wouldn't give me the job but then he sent the appointment letter to my home and i couldn't believe my luck i i just couldn't and i've always wanted to write a book saying a banker changed my life and he did <laughs>
1: <laughs> I love that, but there's something I imagine in there. There's something so powerful for that banker to hear the the passion in your purpose. You're not just, you know, you you you're you're there to do something, and and you're doing something with your life, and you're doing for other people. It sort of takes away any anonymity of a person who comes and just applies for a job.
2: Yes, but he's always seen that. He's he he always knew that, and that's why, you know, I said to him be just give me two jobs. I'm happy to do two jobs. Wow. And uh, he gave me two jobs. And at Bank of America, I was doing two jobs. Even when I came here to this country uh, at RBS, I walked into my boss and said, give me two jobs. And he said, Julian, that doesn't happen in this country. And I said, no one needs to know. You can still give me two jobs. And he did. And I did two jobs. And I was That's- so happy to do it. I spent every waking hour there and I was... De- determined to learn what these guys knew I wanted to learn so I walked in even at Bank of America I walked in and asked CEO will you mentor me and at RBS I did the same I said will you mentor me I want to know what you know I want to learn from you I remember again joining both the banks and at first uh, jumping on to you know the online trainings and trying to do every single training I could get my hands on just to learn more and to to do more and and to just, you know, get myself educated enough so that I could just do what I wanted to do, Elizabeth, mm, you know. Mm.
1: But there's such a drive there again, is that passion in your voice. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking as well when you're asking, going to someone very senior and asking to be mentored. And I think it's such a reminder for, and it's a great reminder for me for sure, that if you don't ask, you don't get.
2: It's as oh, simple yes. as
1: that. I, you have to. I just
2: believe in that theory, you know, in, in my next book, The Irrepressible Mind. One of the lessons is don't forget to ask for help. Yeah. You must learn to ask for help because people mm. will give it to you.
1: Mm. So true. So true. Gosh. Oh, and can I say, so, so then you left India. So you were, I think you were about, were you 30 when you left India and moved to the UK? What yes. was that like? You know, you were going back then to, or going back to, you're going to your family's roots. What was that all like?
2: You know, when you say my family's roots... I honestly can't feel anything because to me, my family's roots, uh, even though, you know, we have British blood on both sides and uh, we came through on my mom's ancestral and British papers. And of course, my dad was British too. But when you say family roots, my family roots to me, the way I feel uh, spontaneously is is my family roots belong in India. I'm Indian. I feel it. I am Indian. And I can't feel, you know, uh, anything else. But I remember when I uh, got to England and I went for my first interview and we got out at Bank Station, I saw every single person in Black. And I was thinking, has someone died? Why is everyone in Black? Because I come, I came from such a colorful, vibrant country and I couldn't believe why everyone was in Black. But of course, Elizabeth, we, you know, I had to adjust to a new culture, but I was willing to work hard. I knew that I was going to ask for help. And... And, you know, at my first interview, I was still asked ridiculous questions like, so, Jillian, do people still go to work on elephants in India? Um, you no. know, yeah, yeah. And, you know, ridiculous questions like, you know, things that I, I was already at a managerial level. And when I came over here, I was asked, can you buy the, t- can you buy the milk and bring it? Can you do this? Can you do that? But I never ever felt less. I, I always knew that coming from a country from India, that's fine. I have to start at the very bottom. And I, I was happy to do so. It's not a problem for me. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. And, and I think it's interesting as well, this whole, uh, the, you know, the sense of belonging is, is there's so many factors in there. And we can we are indeed, you know, as you describe, also the complexity of all our background and, and who we are. It's, it's just fascinating to think about. Now, can I can ask you, though, because I know that, you know, after your banking career, you had a very successful banking career. You decided to set up your own business in 2012 and setting up your own business is not a walk in the park. And having run my own business for 20 years, I I know a lot about this as well. But uh, so can you say something about and sharing to our listeners as well what you've experienced as an entrepreneur? And what have you learned there that maybe other people can benefit from as well?
2: you know elizabeth they say you experience blood sweat and tears and that is absolutely the truth you do experience blood sweat uh, you know and tears but i was i was very determined um, you know given what i've experienced in the past and what i really want to achieve in my life and uh, the people i want to reach but equally i was very disillusioned as well uh, with people mainly you know, vendors, suppliers, people who promise to help you, they make false promises and they don't deliver. So from website designing to social media experts, you know, ghostwriters, literary agents, producers, directors, publicists, all of them seem to be promising you something and not being able to deliver or never delivering or worse still taking your money and disappearing. And I've talked with so many groups of entrepreneurs and they all seem to be facing the same thing. And it's very sad what's happening to our world. Firstly, it is so hard for somebody who has a talent, who has got a story to tell, who wants to make it out you know, in the world, who comes from a difficult background. And then when they try to make it up the ladder, you know that you know. in the past we could write letters, we could send brochures to people, etc. But now with technology, you've got to spend so much of money just to get out on social media. But then you're even people, you know, they I've talked to ladies who have maxed out their credit cards, I've talked to women whose husbands are beating them up because why because they've taken, you know, hard earned money, and put it into, you know, investing into their futures only for somebody to rob them. And I think this is very, very sad. And I really want the world to look into this because how do entrepreneurs climb the ladder if they are continuously going to be lied to uh, or robbed? I think it's very sad. But on the other hand, being positive here, I think if you focus on your goals, try and do two jobs as I did, I left Uh, RBS very, very slowly. I went uh, temporary four days a week, three days a week, two days a week. And I remember my boss saying, Jillian, come even one day a week, but don't stop coming. (laughs) And I even went one day a week. But slowly but surely, I set up my own business. And I think it's important that we should remind ourselves why we are doing it and who we are doing it for. Mm. That's very important. And that keeps you going your
1: sole purpose. Mm. Yeah, because you can really feel that you you're doing something that really matters to you. But I think it's also interesting what you're saying that not probably not thinking it's going to be just because you're doing something you're very enthusiastic about and you love the idea of, it's not going to be smooth sailing. And I think sometimes maybe when we start something off, that passion can can take us off and we we are maybe overly optimistic and we're maybe not as thinking about the precautions maybe we need to take or as you're saying if we have the opportunity to maybe stay on with a job something else for a while as we start to establish ourselves those kind of things can help as well
2: yes elizabeth you know i understand this uh, only too well i i did a, a TED talk on never give up another complete rubbish so i understand <laughs> this and uh, you know before i left um When I did the talk and I left from Ireland to come to the UK, I had 50,000 views. So I understand this only too well. But I still believe that if people were a bit more honest, uh, it could help uh, another person to get on. You know, that's what Mm. I think.
1: So it's something about there as well. Now, I'm, I'm really interested in the whole idea of we all have an impact on everyone we meet every day. And I think there is a lot of power in thinking about even raising the awareness for other people, help people understand what impact are you having today? Because I think sometimes people maybe don't intend to be mean necessarily, but they don't always see all the way through what what is this doing to another person? And there might be some of those aspects in there as well, I imagine.
2: Yeah. I don't think people intend to be mean, but I do think that there are very many charlatans out there who definitely you know ha- are, you know suffering with losses for their business or they need to meet their objectives or they just think that you know uh, the this is easy prey and so you know let me make uh the the, the maximum I can out of this mm-hmm. and if you come to some of these groups and talk to some of these these ladies I speak to it's it's heartbreaking Elizabeth and this mm-hmm. this mentality has to stop but I know it's It's quite serious. I was
1: going to say that's a big topic in its own right, actually. We probably need to talk about that one again, (laughs) Gillian, because I think there is, um, yeah, and I'm thinking that I know there are networks and there are different sort of groups that you can join to help build resilience, support each other as you're going through those types of things. And maybe we can start a little bit of a discussion around that you know oh, that by, would be by, by, by putting it out there and seeing what can we do to support entrepreneurs um they really want to do something and want to make a difference and create a, a fairer and kinder world for them wouldn't that be great
2: that just would be super Elizabeth if we can just you know start a topic like this and help people to get on it would be truly wonderful
1: mm. and there's something about the um yeah, it's resilience. I keep coming back to resilience, this whole idea of not losing, not losing focus and not losing hope. But I, I do find that other people often help with that. Sometimes you can feel very lonely when, you, when you're doing your own thing. And even being part of something where you have other people to, to talk to uh, goes a long way with that.
2: Absolutely. Of course, having a mentor, again, is very important.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, no. Yeah, definitely.
2: And if you can't afford a mentor, then I always believe in the system, you know, that we had in the old days. Go to somebody and say, look, I'll do something for you if you can mentor me. Like I did in Bank of America. I said to my boss, mentor me. And he said, Julian, you know, my wife works in Singapore. I have two little ones at home. I have to get home and help them with their homework. You know, who's going to do it? And I said, well... How about this? I helped them with their homework and you mentor yeah. me. He agreed. That's fine.
1: That's he wonderful. <laughs> Absolutely wonderful. I love that. Now we're going to go to commercial break again. I can't believe it. Time's flying again. We are going to be back in a couple of minutes. So stay with us.
0: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. Would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential?
2: Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click
0: register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper.
1: Welcome back. This is Elizabeth vindberg hahn and I'm standing in for Chris Cooper today and I'm back here with Gillian Haslam. And before the break, we were talking about the challenges of setting up your own business and how there, you know, you were talking about challenges of encountering people who were uh, not behaving very well and you were you were feeling that there is a need to do more to support people so that being able to do your own thing is actually not threatening but something that can really make a difference. Yeah?
2: Yes, absolutely, Elizabeth. If that could
1: be done, that would just be amazing. It Absolutely.
2: So
1: many. Yeah, and as I said before the break, we're, we're definitely going to need to talk about that again. But I wanted to, for now, I know we only have so much time together today, I want to turn our attention to your charitable work that you do, Jill. What is it that you do and, and where and for whom? And you mentioned it a little bit earlier on, but but we'd love to hear some more about that.
2: Well, Elizabeth, when... I was growing up, as I said, we grew up with hundreds of people around us who were in very desperate need and part of who I am today, maybe could have something to do with my mom, who was a highly charitable woman. Mm. And she would just take any stranger off the street and bring them into our little room, which was kind of eight by 10 feet. And we already had five children in the room, and uh, probably five or six birds in a cage and cats and my parents and into that room she would continuously bring strangers off the street and we would say but mom you know we are all most of us are girls and how do we live like this and she could she would always say you know what five can eat six six can eat so move up make a little room let him sleep here it doesn't matter and she would just share everything she had so part of that could have come from my mom and part of that could have come from the place I grew up in but I always had this need, when when we were little, my mom used to send uh, my little sister Vanessa and myself to all the tailoring shops in the area. And we used to pick up these rags from under their machines, all the little, you know, all the cut pieces of cloth that they didn't need. And we used to bring it home and she would stitch these beautiful little coats for us, these quilt covers, curtains, pillowcases, everything. She was was very good with her hands. She used to make Christmas decorations out of old uh, greeting cards and Easter baskets out of cardboard and stickers and I don't know what else she would make, but because we had no money, she she definitely put her talents to use. And when I grew up, I only wanted to help people who were in desperate need. So I opened, the first thing I started was, I opened a tailoring center and I told them all the story of Dolly Parton and how my mom told us her story and how she stitched these little coats of many colors for us and how we gathered the rags. And the girls were so impressed that they went across the city, gathered old clothes from across the city, brought it back and made 300 little coats for very poor children. And that's where I first started. But today I have, you know, a beautician school for girls. We have an English language school. Uh, We had a secretarial school. We had very many food banks, which we've had to Temporarily shut down because of COVID, but we are reopening very soon. And we have um, you know, again, I'm trying to open another center in another part of the city to help other girls. And there's always work to be done to try and expand um, on trying to reach as many people as possible, mm. mainly girls and women who are struggling, you know, like myself.
1: Mm. And this is all in India, right?
2: Yes. Yes, but I do a lot of work here. I received an award from the Advertiser newspaper for speaking at the maximum number of schools in the country um, because I had gone, you know, and delivered speeches and trainings to very many schools and universities here. Pro bono, of course. No, 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 no fees at all.
1: So what's the, what's the difference in talking to, to students in in the UK and in India, or is there a difference? Is the message different or is the context different? or How would you describe that?
2: I think I've received some glowing testimonials from people here and I still keep in touch with a lot of the students and I still coach a lot of them Mm. um, and I help a lot of them. Uh, But I think the difference is when when you go for when you deliver a speech or a training here, you're called in and you can leave on time. Mm -hmm. In India, when you go in for, like I said, a one hour or two hour speech, you're kept for seven or eight hours because they are just hungry (laughs) for information. They want to know everything and they really want to improve their lives. So it's, it's magical,
1: really. It sounds, it certainly sounds like it. Sounds amazing. (laughs) And I know, of course, and, and you know, it warms my heart to think about you, you have had so many recognitions for your work, including the the prestigious Mother Teresa Memorial International Award and it will be great to hear more about that what, what was that all about you
2: know I didn't even know that um I was I was I didn't even know if I deserved uh, that award I was just working you know from my passion or what I really wanted to do as a little girl I never ever wanted To be a doctor or a nurse or an engineer or anything, I just wanted to help hundreds of people that was my passion. Uh, And obviously, being born in Calcutta, when we were again, when we were little girls, we used to go to a place called a Presbytery, which is like a church compound. And we used to queue up every Friday, um, for, uh, you know, the Sisters of Charity, and they used to come to that place and give us a packet of biscuits. They used to give us a, a bag of old clothes, all sent from, you know, from Western countries, mainly. And they used to give us a, a packet of powdered milk. We used to queue up with hundreds of people every Friday to try and get that. And sometimes we would be given this bag of clothes and we would come home and we would open the bag. Of course, they couldn't, you know, measure that, okay, it fits you, you take it, etc. So we would... Um, find these knickers in those bags and they would be, you know, these granny knickers. We would put them on where the, you know, it would start at our hips and end at our ankles. And we would parade (laughs) around the whole area showing people that, look, we have, we have knickers. So when I was invited to receive this, um, uh, the Mother Teresa International Memorial Award, I, I couldn't even believe it, um, that I had met Mother Teresa one day over there. And, you know, she was just, patting all the children and saying, you know, next, 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 and giving us our bags of whatever. But when I, when I got to the St. Teresa's church and we marched in a procession from, um, from St. Teresa's church right down to mother house where she is buried. It was one of the most wonderful days of my life. You know, they were, uh, the police, um, you know, were, they led the procession right down the streets of Calcutta Um I was asked I was with most of my girls from school which was very special for me and then when we got there they gave me the greatest honor of putting a, a wreath on her tomb and also you know to lay the Indian flag on her tomb and then it got even more special because they keep her little room locked you know with her one bed and her sandals and they keep it locked continuously but they opened it for me and when I stood there I cannot even imagine and tell you, Elizabeth, how special I felt and what a wonderful
1: experience that was. Oh, it must have been! Wow, wow! Oh, yeah, yeah, Oh, so I mean, we are almost out of time here, and you know, we are, and I know we could have talked for for much longer, but but sadly, we only have we still have a few more minutes, but. What, what do you want to share with our listeners as your sort of final observation or recommendation when it comes to overcoming all the tough things in life and the setbacks that we have? What, what should we take away from, from this talk? Um, well, <laughs> I
2: would say, um, Elizabeth, I would say, you know, in a great book I read, once that there's a question that is asked of all of us is what is God trying to give the world through you Mm. and if you ask yourself that you will know what your purpose is and Victor Franklin in his book Man's Search for Meaning actually talks about this in great detail Mm. and in one quote he says the meaning of life is to find your gift but the purpose of life is to learn how to give it away so I think great journeys begin with small steps and we should never forget that, but also, you know, we should remember to ask for help and not let fear paralyze us. And most importantly, we should accept our our start, but not our end because our ends are entirely up to us.
1: That so yeah, that, those are really wise words. And I've, you, you're reminding me that I think there is something here about the whole, you know, being a leader of yourself. I, I sense that so many people are so busy today that we're just running, you know, we're constantly running, we're busy, we're going somewhere. And, and sometimes we don't take the time to really stop and think and say, what, what, what am I all about? What is important to me? And I, I wish there was more of this, happening even in school this is some of what i learned in the corporate world and i wish i'd known that when i was in school and i i'm not going to get into the details of that but i've had the benefit of working with a, a charity in in mozambique where we were looking at really doing this for children um in um, children that have been abandoned to help build their understanding of themselves and their belief in themselves to be able to to Mm -hmm. overcome challenges and I think there is a lot more that we can do in this space and I wish there was more focus on self-leadership for people from from early age but also in in the sort of the grown-up world probably something else to talk about Gillian hey
2: (laughs) absolutely Elizabeth why not but I just wanted to leave your listeners with uh, the little video I was talking about on how important giving is um, and this research uh, from Stephen J. Post and the videos on my YouTube's called "On the Receiving End of Love."
1: That's beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So, thank you, Gillian. I mean, this has been such a pleasure. I knew it would be, and um, um, I really love talking to you. And and I have to say, I always feel so inspired by our conversations, and you're always very supportive. <laughs> And I think you always elevate my thinking. And I love that, particularly because we're on the Business Elevation Show today. And and I think it's so great when we surround ourselves with people that really helps us think new things, and feel new things, and experience new things, and sort of break free of of old patterns, I guess. So I just want to say you know, thank you for all you do, Gillian. And and thanks for making a real difference, because it's very obvious that you do. And thank you for being on the show today. And, um, you know, the the best of luck with the new book, uh, Voice Out of Poverty, that's coming out in the summer and the upcoming movie, indeed. I, you know, I seriously can't wait to experience them both. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you, Elizabeth. And thank you to Chris, too, on my behalf. Thank you.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And if you want to connect with Gillian and find out more about her, uh, her website is JillianHaslam.com. So that's J-I-L-L-I-A-N-H-A-S-L-A-M.com. So JillianHaslam.com. Excellent. So, so thank you, Jillian. And I just want to say uh, that next week, the show uh, will be hosted by my wife's friend, Jean Early. And he will be talking to Ian DeCruz, the global director of P4G, partnering for Green Growth and Global Goals 2030. He leads efforts within emerging economies to bring together global government, business and civil society organizations to deliver public-private partnerships in the areas of food, water, shelter, energy and sustainable use of resources and he will share P4G's vision and some of their implementation stories and what it's all resulted in. You don't wanna miss that. So um, thank you all for listening, take care. And a big shout out to Chris Cooper, the host of this show, who's recovering at home after a surgery, and I know he's doing well, and I'm really pleased for that. And I know you're listening, Chris, and I just wanna say, keep getting better. And thanks again to Gillian. And thanks for listening, everyone. And don't forget to tune in next Friday. Bye-bye and take care. And thank you all very much. Thanks. We
0: thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show.